Uh, but I am keenly aware that we have kiddos in the service today uh, as well, so, um, so we're going to get started. I'm not going to give you much of a long intro, we're just going to jump into this thing. But before we do, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just am so grateful um, for this opportunity that we have to gather and to uh, open up and, and examine your word, Lord, and examine the implications of your word for us, for our community, for our, our culture, for our world. Uh, God, and I just pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. May these not be uh, my words. I confess I feel uh, underprepared, and Lord, I feel uh, inadequate, and yet, Lord, you are all those things. You are adequate. You are prepared, and your Holy Spirit speaks through us. So, Lord, I pray that that would be the case this morning, that your spirit speak through your servant as we bring your word, Lord, and as we look at the things that you have for us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you're going to have to bear with me here for a moment, too. I uh, didn't have enough time to print out all my notes, so I have them in front of me. Uh, and, uh, um, and I'm also going to start a little timer so I can kind of keep track of uh, of time as we go so that we uh, have time to do everything. So I know if I need to cut uh, and what I need to cut and where I need to cut as we go. Uh, so uh, this past April 9th marks six years uh, for me serving as a pastor and elder uh, here at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. And uh, wow, what a, what a time it has been. And, uh, and as I look back and I, and, I, and I survey all that God has done, it's, it's been an exciting Time. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm thrilled actually when I look back and I and I look at all God has done in us and you know as a family what He's done in us as a church body uh, where we've uh, where we've been uh, and I believe where we're going uh, is very very exciting uh, and uh, so it was a it was a joy when Rory asked me originally to speak it wasn't for Mother's Day uh, it was coming back on the heels of Nepal. Uh, and, uh, and as that was, uh, going on, I really felt like the Lord was directing me in an area to speak. Uh, and, uh, and then Rory said, well, hey, you know, we're back. We can do testimonies. And I thought, well, that'd be fantastic. You know, I, I think everybody is much, you know, going to be excited with the Nepal team coming home to hear about the testimonies. What did God do? And, and, uh, so I said, let's do that. I'll teach another time. Uh, and, uh, so I kind of put a pin in it, so to speak, and, and just allowed the Lord to, uh, to do what he wanted to do. Uh, and it was great and it was exciting. And I wanted that. I wanted to hear the testimonies from Nepal because it's been exciting to see what God has done in this, in this group of people, uh, and what he's doing overseas and really kind of connecting the dots in some incredible ways that I'm not going to have enough time to share today, uh, in, in how God has, uh, has knit together what he's doing across the earth with what he's doing right here in Prineville. That's our God. He's awesome. And he sees all and he knows all. And everything is working in accordance uh, and working together uh, for his purpose. Uh, with that said, uh, Rory said, hey, how about Mother's Day? And I didn't put two and two together and, and uh, uh, that when he originally gave me the date and then I realized it was Mother's Day. And then I heard we were having the kids in here and I immediately thought, man, I need to get together a good Mother's Day sermon. Uh, you know, this is what we do on Mother's Day. We, we honor moms. Uh, and, uh, and it is my desire uh, this morning to honor moms. Uh, but the more that I, the more that I, I ask the Lord, what do you want me to teach today? What do you want me to bring? Uh, the, the, um, 
the word that kept coming back to me was, was, uh, was interesting because the verse that immediately came to mind that I felt like the, the Holy Spirit brought to me was uh, Jesus was talking to the crowd and his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And I thought, wow, God, that's, that's not exactly what I had in mind, but okay. And I couldn't shake that. And as, um, as I studied, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was laying some things on my heart. Uh, things that, uh, that he's been laying on for a long time. And, uh, and sometimes it can be a challenge for us as, as elders who don't speak on a regular basis uh, that uh, we have a lot to say. And, and maybe not a lot of time to do it. I'm already at three minutes and 41 seconds. So like I said, we're not going to have too long of an intro. We're going to dive into this. Uh, but... Uh, that said, God was so faithful to continue to, uh, to, to use that. And as I, uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, in the last couple of weeks in Sunday school, uh, and not knowing in advance that we were going to have the kids in here, and, uh, and then having this verse just come back to me and come back to me and not be able to shake it, I said, well, Lord, that just doesn't you know, seem to, you know, to, to fit. And then I read, uh, and one of the principles of hermeneutics that we, that we follow is, well, you know, we don't just look at a scripture uh, in, in, you know, in isolation. We look at it in context. So we ask the question, what, you know, what's going on before this? What does this mean to the people at the time? What, you know, what does this mean to us now? What things are culture? You know, all these different things. But one of the, the principles of hermeneutics is that we, we look at that, and, and that's just a fancy word for saying how we rightly divide the Scripture. And how we choose, to, you know, how do we, how we uh, take a, a section of Scripture and make sure we're being faithful to, to teach it as, we, as we're supposed to. And one of those principles is to look at what's before it and what's after it. And as I did that... <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just a little choked up because it's so, uh, it's just so awesome how God works. It's so awesome how He works. And as I looked before that, right before that, where there were two stories. Uh, one of them is the parable of the tree. And for all the kids who were in here, uh, the last couple of times that we, the last three times actually that we've taught, we've been, we've been working on something that we, that we learned in one of our, our missions classes just, just to, to, to practice. Uh, you know, to do something different than maybe what we normally do. And we call it storying. And it's really simple. We take a story from the Bible and, and, and we tell it as a group. We tell it to the group of, of the kids. And when we, uh, then we ask them as a group to kind of help. Let's retell the story together. And it's a really effective way to, to minister and teach, especially in oral cultures. Now, we're primarily a written culture, but we are also an oral learning culture. So our kids actually can learn very well and very effectively that way. And so one of the things that we do then is we tell the story a couple of times and then we, we ask the kids to, to help us retell the story. It's powerful. It's great. And not only that, it's a great tool for training them uh, on how to go to oral cultures and speak the gospel. Because how many of you have noticed that this is a church that puts an emphasis on the fact that not only do we go out into our community and they need to have the ability and the word of God hidden in their hearts so they can share it with their friends and the people that need to hear it here, but also we put an emphasis on going wherever God would lead us. And right now that's to Nepal and to other destinations. And how incredible that we could actually create a culture in our church where kids are beginning to really know and understand the word of God. So in doing that, we taught them the parable of the tree. Well, right, this, this scripture that the Lord kept bringing to my mind is sandwiched right between the two things that we just storied with the kids. 
And I thought, good, how, how awesome is that, God, that you're so good that even though that wasn't planned, uh, that's still how you've coordinated it. So the parable of the tree. So I'm doing this for the kids, more for you guys. Uh, but here it is. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does it, uh, a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. Uh, uh, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You kids remember that? How many of you guys, if I were just asking you to put up your hand, how many of you guys remember that? Yeah, a few of you guys were here. You remember that. And then last week, uh, we did the parable of the sower. How awesome is that? Uh, and it says the same day Jesus went out of the house, he had been, uh, the, the, uh, he had been speaking these things. We just saw it. Uh, you know, they come, they're knocking on the door. Hey, we're looking for Jesus. It's his mother and his brothers. And then he, he has this statement that he makes to his disciples. Uh, who are my mother and my brothers, but those who do the will of God. And he's having this teaching moment in the house. And then right after that, it says, uh, that same day. So this very same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea or, or a lake. And, uh, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So there's a lot of people there. And he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground and they didn't have much soil. So they sprang up immediately, but they had no depths of soil. So they withered. You get, kids remember that? Remember us talking about that? Yeah. Uh, and then the sun rose and they were uh, scorched. And since they had no root, they withered. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And we talked about that. We talked about our culture and how easy it is for us to get choked out by the cares of this life. And then other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so as I read that, and I, I just thought, man, God, you're so good. Here we are, we're going to have the kids in the service, and the last two lessons that we taught and we storied are sandwiched right in between this verse that you've been giving me all week from the very moment that I asked you, what am I supposed to speak on? That's our God. That's who he is. And so with that, I just want to, I just want to jump into today and to kind of share with you guys a little bit about what the Lord has been laying on my heart, how I, how I feel like this is, fits into it. And it makes a very big emphasis to say, uh, you know, in, this, in a similar teaching that he's doing, you can see it throughout the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is telling us that, uh, you know, in one sense, he says, why do you, why do you uh, call yourselves my disciples, but you don't do what I say? You know, why would you, you know, why would you ignore what I say? And then he goes and he tells about the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand. And he said, you know, the house that's built on the rock, these are the ones who hear the words that I speak and you do them. And the one that's built on the sand is the one who hears the words that I speak and you don't do them. Jesus is laying out a principle for us. He's teaching us something. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so I already mentioned this word hermeneutics, but it's been a really interesting ride these last few uh, months as the Lord has been you know, increasing uh, in my heart, in Stephanie's heart, in our family, just, just the direction that he would have us to go as a family, the, the, the places that he's leading us. And one of those places was to a, a conference uh, recently. Uh, it was sponsored by the same group that does Mission Connection. It's called Crescent Connection. And I thought, you know, we've, you know, we've been learning a lot about what it looks like to do uh, ministry to Muslims or to people who, you know, who are uh, in, our, in our culture but, uh, but, uh, um, but are, are from another one. You know, cross-cultural ministry. And, and uh, I went there expecting something about how maybe to get some practical ideas of how to do that. Because we've gotten a lot of them. You know, one of them is to go into the grocery store and to, uh, you know, walk up and you see somebody and, uh, and maybe they're dressed in a, in a traditional uh, uh, Muslim outfit. 
And, uh, and you would say, um, you'd walk up and say, do you know how to, how to make couscous? You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I could use some help and, uh, and get the conversation started. And they're very, uh, they're very hospitable people. And, uh, and in return, it's teaching us also to be a hospitable culture. So I was looking for a lot of interesting, uh, practical, maybe how to do's. But I think what, what surprised me the most was that God impacted me greatly, uh, with something I wasn't expecting at all. And one of the teachers that was there, his name was Mike Kuhn. He's a professor at a, at a college. He's recently moved up to the Northwest to be with his kids. But he introduced something called a patristic hermeneutic. And this is really what I want to say, uh, you know, about today is we're going to follow a, a quick path here. Uh, and the way that the Lord brought notes to me this week happened to, to kind of follow the same pattern. The first one is if you're taking notes and you just want to write these down, uh, because you may want to try to piece together some of this in case, uh, I jump around a little bit here is that, is that first of all, there's this picture of God's story and God's plan. And, and I want you to understand that you're here today, uh, and a part of that is you, you are a part of God's plan. This place, this point in time in history, even this church, you're a part of God's story. History is truly his story. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that aspect. Then we're also going to talk about uh, the idea that we are sent. You know, what, what is our mission? What has God uh, given us to do? And, and I don't think I could have scripted it any better uh, than Ken coming up here and sharing uh, what he shared about what the Lord laid on his heart and what he's been laying on the hearts of some of our men as we meet in, regular, uh, in a regular basis on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And just this idea of why are we here? What's our identity? Because I think if we understand that, uh, and I'm just going to boldly say, it really does begin to change everything. It really does. It begins to change everything. And then the last thing that we're going to look at is this idea of being watchful. So those are the three things in case you, you need to, to have that as a reference as we go back, because we're going to move through a lot. And uh, I'm at 12 minutes, so we're going to start speeding through a lot. Uh, okay, so story. Uh, this is the idea of God's history from Genesis to Revelation is, is laying out a story. And one of the things that spoke to me the most at this conference wasn't all these practical ideas or even this idea that there's people around me that need to, to hear the gospel that aren't like me and the strategies to reach them. But, but the thing that I gleaned the most from that conference, so surprisingly, was this idea of a patristic hermeneutic. And that's just a fancy word for saying, how did the early church fathers look at the, the Bible? How did they interpret the Bible? How did they interpret scripture? And, and to sum it up in, in a way that makes sense is uh, our modern hermeneutic often looks at just a section of scripture and we want to figure out, uh, you know, the context around it. Well, the, the fathers looked at this and they said, how does this fit into God's story? Like they never translate or interpret scripture uh, without also making sure that it fits within the context of God's story. So scripture interprets scripture. And that just fits so well into all the things that God has been showing us, has been leading us. And uh, many of you know we've been in this missions class that we've been taking called Perspectives. And it's my desire uh, that, that everyone in this room would, would have the opportunity to do something like that. Because I think we need to understand God's story from Genesis to Revelation. Because I think it's really tempting that we often look at the Bible and we look at it as a record of this is what God did. Instead of not only this is what God did, but this is what God is doing, present tense. And it's really important for us to come to that understanding and that knowledge. It didn't end with Jesus on the cross. And yet that's often where we stop. And that's often where we stop in our culture because, because we, we, we want that portion. Uh, we, we cling to that portion and rightfully so. It is our hope. It is everything. It's, we have the message that this world needs to hear. 
We have it. We've been given it. We understand that. So we, we want to cling to that. But we, we often forget that there's this other picture that, that God's given us. And if I could be so bold as to say, I'm not sure there's ever been a point in history where maybe the mission of the church has ever been more clear. And I'll get to that in a, in a moment about what I mean by that. But we're living in incredible times. We're, we're living in, in, in an interesting point in history that's unlike any before it. And so this patristic hermeneutics has been speaking to me because as I look at God's plan, unfolding plan, from Genesis to Revelation, it's really important that we see that we have a role in that. You know, somebody wrote um, and said, uh, patristic interpretation uh, is um, sometimes, some with the church fathers, they were overly exuberant, but they, uh, but they were excessively excited about the right thing. They correctly understood that the key to good interpretation is discerning the whole message of Scripture well. And they correctly saw that the Bible as a whole is fundamentally about Christ. Now, Jesus himself espouses this very concept. I'm just going to read over it real quickly. I'm going to probably do what David Platt does in Secret Church because we're going to have to breeze through this quick. Uh, but in the road to Emmaus, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, Jesus has risen from the dead. Many of you guys know this. He's coming alongside these disciples, and they're, they're distraught. They're leaving Jerusalem, uh, and, and he comes upon them. Uh, and uh, this is one of my all-time favorite stories in all of the Gospels. It says, that very day the two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, uh, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that it happened while they were talking and discussing together get this jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and we're going to see if you read the gospels uh, a lot of times you know it's amazing to me i ask this question how did people not you know how did the jews not understand who jesus was uh you know but if you read some of the 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 stuff that's in there uh with the this understanding that uh god had a plan and in order to accomplish that plan there were times where people just simply didn't understand because they were kept from understanding so that the plan itself could be accomplished, so that Jesus could do what he needed to do. And so I find this really interesting. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, and this is for us, like this is, this is recorded in all of history so that we can read this. And he said to them, what is the conversation you're, that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You know, he's basically saying, you know, this, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, you're asking us this, haven't you been, haven't your eyes been open to what's been going on? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But he had hoped that he, uh, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You know, and, and if I could, I'd, I'd, I'd pause there and we'd, we'd go through a whole, whole thing on that. But, you know, uh, but I think the important point that we can take away from that is that we have expectations of what we think uh, that, uh, that Jesus came to do. And God has a much bigger picture that we can't see. And I think it would be wise for us to understand that. As we look through Scripture, there's so many things that we can't see or understand that God is doing. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in the early morning and they did not find the body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, oh, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken what is necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and and into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. So what you guys can see there is that the entire scripture up until this point is pointing to Jesus. 
It's important for us to understand that as we gather here today, as we gather as a body, as we gather as the church, it's important for us to understand that, that all of Scripture points to Jesus, and Jesus himself illuminates for him this for them. And so as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going further. Acted. You get that? Like Jesus knows what he's doing here. He acted like he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And get this, he vanished from their sight. Instantly. Like, suddenly, they're having, they're having bread, breaking bread with Jesus. They recognize who he is. Boom. He's gone. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I mean, I don't know about you guys. This is, this is almost impossible for us to imagine, but, but this is fantastic. And what that should do is that should give us this bigger picture. And, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Because then Jesus appears right after this experience. He appears to them. And, and he appears to the, the ones who were gathered. It says, while they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought he was a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, it is my myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a broiled fish and he took an aid before them. Just picture this with me for a moment. Jesus is sitting with them. They don't believe it's him. He's like, look, you know, touch me, see that it's flesh and, and bones. And just to prove it, he's like, here, uh, give me a piece of fish. I'm kind of hungry, right? And he eats a piece of fish in front of them so that they can see this is, this is him. This isn't a spirit. This isn't, this isn't the, the glorified savior yet in heaven. This is Jesus, the same one risen from the dead, had walked, had taught, had, had been with them all this time. It is him. And then he goes on to say, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And here's the key. And here's where we find ourselves now, 2,000 years later. And, and, and we're going to get to that in a second about what I said before about the mission being clear. Uh, but the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city only uh, until you are clothed with power from on high. As I said, I don't know that I could have set it up any better with Ken coming up here and saying, man, the Lord's been placing this on my heart. Here's these women. They're going up and down the street. They're talking to my neighbors about Jesus. And I just became overwhelmed with this conviction. Why haven't I gone? They don't even have the message of truth. I have the message of truth. And he goes and he shares the gospel and his neighbor. What does he say? I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this. And I'm not here to tell you that everybody that you want to go share the gospel has just been waiting for you to come. But that's not the point. The point is that we are a sent people. That this is a part of God's story and God's plan. So, so I, I, I want to come back to this idea that I mentioned before, and I kind of boldly said this, that I, I don't know that there's ever been a time in history where, where the mission of God has ever been more clear. You know, we are living in times of incredible knowledge. 
You know, growing up in the church, I never heard these things. And in the last 50 to 60 years, we've come into, into contact with, here's who these unreached people groups are. Here's these unengaged groups uh, that have never even heard the gospel over here that make up a subsection of that. We know languages that they speak. We, we have communications and, and the ability to speak to them in ways that we've never had before. Uh, when Wycliffe came and, and spoke to our perspectives class and just shared with us at the rate at which the, 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 uh, the translation of scriptures in, in these languages is accelerating so fast, they, they think they're going to be done with almost all the languages that they have in the queue right now. Uh, but around the year 2030, we live at a time where we can get on a plane here in Redmond, Oregon in 24 hours. We can be on the exact opposite part of the world in Nepal, going up into the Himalayas and trekking and telling the Sherpa Hulambu, the people that, that are unreached up there that we've, that we've gone to. And we've, and we've started to engage them. We can tell them about who Jesus is 24 hours from when we leave this place. This is an incredible point in history, and, and, I, and I think uh, that, that the enemy has done an incredible job of convincing us that uh, otherwise. They're convincing us that, that, um, that, that this life and these things that we're caught up in uh, in our day-to-day, and, 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 and trust me, this stuff does matter. Our, 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 our community and our things that we're involved in and, and all these things, they matter. But I think that it's, that it's interesting that we live in perhaps the most prosperous nation in the world, in all of history. And yet $1 out of every $100,000 of Christian income goes to the unreached. You guys can probably sense I have a a passion about this, about this idea of going to the unreached. But it's not just the unreached. I think a church that catches a vision for God's story from Genesis to Revelation, uh, because I think it would be really easy for us to say, this is what we do. We go over here, we do these things, and that's what... But this is a mission to which we are all called, whether we go over there or where we walk into our place of work tomorrow. We have the same mission the same God-given mission. Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. So we look and we see that God has a story, an unfolding story, an unfolding plan, and man, i got to keep going here. I'm jump right into the next one. So, uh, we're going to have to skip reading through it. There's so much good scripture. Uh, uh, man. Oh. We'll come back to that. Sent. We're a sent people. I think it's important that we start to look at this idea of being called and understand that, that this isn't this idea that I think so many of us have had in our mind, maybe through, through experience, through church, through history, through time, that we're just waiting for a sign. Oh! You know, for God to come and, and say, this is it. And until we receive that, uh, we're just doing what we want to do. But I think it's really important that, that we come to this understanding that if God has a story. And if we have a place in that story, we've already been called. If we understand that there are thousands of people groups that have never heard the gospel and we have the gospel and we have the ability to go to them and we have the finances and the resources as a nation to to not only go ourselves but to coordinate with others who are going and even other cultures and and to do that. I think the church has already been given its mission. I think if we understand that we have that role, that we're already called, then, then our job is simply to be obedient and we start right where we are. We start right where God has placed us. It's my firm conviction that if, that if we are obedient in small things, God will be faithful to lead us exactly where we're supposed to be. 
You know, one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my entire life came uh, a few years ago uh, as we gathered as a, uh, and I've, I've shared this before, maybe some of you have heard this, some of you know Chad Carpenter, some of you are fairly new and you don't know uh, the history of all the elders here, but we gathered in a, in a, in a room. Uh, at Roy, we were gathered in Rory's living room. That's where we were, in Rory's living room. And we were talking about, we were currently in a rotation. In fact, this is back about 2014, 15, because I was just looking at the notes on Facebook on some of this stuff. And, uh, and here we are, and we're, we're sending a group of men, because we had five elders at the time, and we're sending them off to preach in, in Lapine, because Lapine doesn't have a pastor. Uh, and they needed some, uh, they needed a, a group of people to come and help sustain the church, kind of like similar to what we did with John Day. And so we're going to Lapine, and we're preaching, and we're teaching. And it was one of the most holy moments that I've ever experienced. And as we sat there as a group, the Holy Spirit came upon our meeting. And it was almost as if, I don't even remember who spoke it. I don't know if it was Kevin or somebody else. But as soon as he spoke it, we all knew that it was true. He said, there's five of us. And there's a need in the pine for a pastor. It's the most holy moment. Because at that moment, it was, it was, it was like we knew that that was true. And we knew that one of us was going. And that person ended up being Chad. I think I maybe shared that in my last... Uh, in my last message, but the point being that that um, none of us necessarily wanted to go to Lapine, but we wanted to be obedient. We all recognized that that was a true thing. We have five pastors, and we have a, a church over here that's in need of a pastor. Why would we not send one of us to go? That was God's will. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose. Man, it is warm in here. I'm going to try to keep that uh, also in mind as we go through this. Um, But I think the important thing is to understand that we all are called. Going is off the table. The question remains where? What is my role? That is our job as disciples is to to come understanding that we are already called. Going isn't a matter of going to Nepal uh, or or not. It's a matter of, of going every day. That is our identity. That is who we are. That is, that is what we have been called to do as disciples of Jesus. We are sent people. One of my favorite verses that the Lord continues to burn in me. Uh, there's so many that, that he's brought to me in this, in this season of time in our life. But, but the one commissional verse that he's given, and we, uh, and we like to talk about all of them. You could look at Matthew 28, but the one that speaks the most to me is from John. John 20, 19 to 23. I'm just going to read it real quick. On the evening of the day, first day of the week, and this is right after Jesus' resurrection, so not too dissimilar from the road to Emmaus experience. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were in fear of the Jews. So they're hiding. They're in fear. They're, they're, they're afraid and, and their, their, uh, their king has been, uh, uh, has been crucified. Uh, and they don't know what's been, what's going on. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he has said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So it may have even been that exact same time as before. It may have been another time. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you and pay attention because this is the the message. When we talk about God isn't done, the Bible isn't just a picture of what's been. It's a picture of what God has done and what he is doing and what he continues to do. And I think it's important that we grab that. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. That is your identity. If you identify with yourself as a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we look at the father sends Jesus 
And he turns around and he says, in the same way that you watched me live, that you saw me minister, that you saw my mission, I was here for a purpose. Not your purpose. We saw that before. They had an idea of what they thought Jesus was here to be. He said, for the purpose that the Father sent me, which is much bigger than yours. You have a vision that looks like this. I have a vision from Genesis to Revelation that looks like this. This is what I've come to fulfill. And in that, as the same way he sent me, I have sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All the, uh, all, if you forgive the sins of any of them, forgiven them. If you for, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we have this incredible uh, encounter with Jesus where he, he expresses so clearly to them, this is who you are. This is your mission. If we call ourselves disciples, if we identify with that, then we bring on and we begin to embody that same mission. Jesus came for a reason, and then he sends us for the exact same reason. We are sent to a lost world. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Now, I think there's some things, and I just want to briefly, you know, bring this, uh, you know, point to, I think sometimes we can look at that and we can think this is overwhelming, right? This is a big, you know, this is a big deal. You know, when we look at the sheer numbers of 6,000 unreached people groups, and we look at some of these things, it seems like how, you know, how can we even make a difference as a, uh, as a as a as a church, let alone as an individual, as an individual disciple, you know, it, it can feel overwhelming. I, I admit I've been there. I'm still there. It's overwhelming. But I love Matthew 28. Same uh, same thing. Jesus is giving his disciples a commission. I want you guys uh, to hear Jesus's words. He asked them to gather in Galilee. And it's my conviction that in these 40 days when Jesus rose and, and uh, this time that he spent these 40 days approximately with his disciples, I think that he probably did this again and again and again and again. I think he wanted them to understand. He said, I'm going. If you look at his teaching all throughout scripture, we're going to look at a little bit of that here in a second, you know, time willing, God willing. Uh, but we see that God gives them this, this picture of, of mission long before he ever st- explicitly states it to them. But he gives them, he says, all authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But I I think the piece that we need to to gather there together as a church and as individual disciples is uh, is this isn't something that's done in our own strength. This isn't something that, that God's given us an impossible mission to accomplish. He didn't give us something that's impossible to do. It's impossible for us to do it, yes. But it's not impossible with him because he's already said it's going to happen. In Matthew 24, which we're going to get to in a moment, he also gives this picture and he says, uh, and we've talked about it many times, but we look at it and it says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And all nations is all ethne, all people, all languages, all cultures. That's going to happen. And then the end will come. The disciples have asked him, what's the sign of the end of the age and of your return and your coming? And he said, this is, this is what's going to happen. So we're not, uh, we're not being asked to do uh, an impossible task. We're being asked to do something that, that God's plan began in Genesis again and ends in Revelation. And he's commissioned us to go. He's commissioned us to do it. But more importantly, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go. Jesus has the authority and he's given the authority to the church as a whole to accomplish his plan. So I don't think it matters how big or how small the task is that God calls us to as a church, as individual believers. It's not so much that he's looking at our ability or what we're capable of doing. He's looking at our our willingness to obey. That's what he's looking for. 
And if you guys take nothing away from that today, then take this idea away that God isn't looking for our abilities. He's looking for our obedience. He's looking for our obedience. If we will give him our obedience, he will give us the ability to do what he asks us to do. That's a promise he's given us. We can see it. He's so faithful. He does it again and again and again. And you know what? It's even better that we don't have the ability to do it because he gets the glory for it all. So next, watch. Sorry, we're just going to have to breeze through these, uh, you know, as quick as can be. So going is off the table. The question remains, where do we go? What is my role? That's our question that we need to ask and begin to ask as disciples. But there's another component that's really important to this that I think, again, we're living in unprecedented times in history. You know, we can look at our own culture. We can see turmoil, but we can also look at our world. We can see, we can see turmoil going on. And there's a central component to Jesus' message that I think is really important for us to hear as disciples. It's a, it's a central component to what he's teaching his disciples. It's, a, it's an essential component for us as well. Because not only do we have an identity, but we're living in a, in a, in a fallen world. We're living in a difficult place. And as we see things accelerating towards a conclusion, which is what God has been doing for these past, well, since history, since Genesis started, we're here. But even since Jesus came and we've watched God uh, spread out across the globe, his gospel to go to the ends of the earth in incredible ways, we can see that God is moving towards a point and a conclusion of history that ends this age and ushers in a new one. The kingdom of God. We are part of this kingdom. As disciples, we are part of this, this coming kingdom. It's already here, but not fully yet. But it's coming. And he's been accomplishing that all through history. But there's this picture in Revelation. And, and there's a song that I just love. And it played yesterday. And I was just, i gotta, I got to incorporate that. It goes, as a bride waiting for her groom will be a church waiting for you. How often does Jesus talk about the bride? But I want you to think about that picture. Jesus calls us his bride. And then he gives us this beautiful picture and revelation of, of this groom who's been away. And this bride who's waiting. And as soon as he returns, the wedding day is going to happen. I want you guys to, to, to picture that for a moment. That bride that's waiting. That's, that's the picture that Jesus gives us about how the church lives in this time. In this point of history. It's, and if we look at the disciples... We can see that that is how they lived. That is how they died. They lived and died believing and watching for Jesus. And it wasn't simply because they were so expectant and they were excited about his return because they had just been with him and they experienced something that we didn't have the pleasure of experiencing and walking with him in those years of ministry. But Jesus also told him, this is how I want you to live. In this time, in this culture, to live expectantly. And I would imagine if you were to, to kind of think about Rome uh, and, and, the, and the culture of the time that Paul went into, uh, it's probably not too unlike some of the, the excesses and the things of our, of our own age and our own culture. I think Paul probably walked and experienced in this, uh, a lot of things and saw a lot of things and a lot of depravity and a lot of, uh, of, of, uh, of things that we would look around in our culture and, and we see happen even though we would consider ourselves to maybe be a little bit more civilized. So maybe our depravity looks a little bit more civilized, but it's the same depravity. We're dealing with the same things. But, but listen to Jesus' words. But concerning that day or that hour, this is from Mark. Each of the Gospels kind of, kind of gives a, a take on this. And this is Mark, uh, Jesus speaking in Mark. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. And, and listen, to, keep awake. 
For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He's left and the master has left and he's, and he's left his servants in charge. The church, his disciples, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, say, I say to all, stay awake. You guys hear what Jesus is saying there? The principle that he's giving us? And, and I think that that principle is as much for, for us and our ability to stay focused as it is uh, anything else. He's not trying to give us a, this idea that we're constantly looking for a sign. We're constantly trying to apply a date. And that, that stuff is irrelevant. What he's saying is keep your eyes on me. Keep focused on, on the mission. Keep focused on what I did. As the Father sent me, even so I have sent you. Watch. Be ready. At all times, be working towards this conclusion that I've given you. This task that I've given you. Luke 21. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth. Distress of nations. Perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. And I don't know how many of you guys have heard, but the world's going to end in 12 years if we don't enact uh, climate change right away. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I also say that is true. Like, uh, as, as I remember, uh, you know, uh, reading the Gospels and starting to, to, to really, uh, you know, internalize this thing that Jesus was teaching, his principles he was laying out, I began to think, man, you know, what kind of thing is going gonna, is gonna to come out there that says we got to unite, we got to come together as a, you know, as a, as a world, as a, as a globe, you know, for the sake of, of all humanity. And, and the first thing that came to mind is, well, climate change. You know, it's, it's so easy to say, like, we've, we're the ones responsible for this, you know. Rather than as believers, we get to sit back and say, God is sovereign. And that doesn't mean we don't have responsibility to this earth, but God is sovereign. He's not going to allow things to happen that are outside the, the purpose of his will. And he's already given us a plan. He's given us a thing. We can live in peace when the world around us is raging and they don't understand what's going on. And they're looking for answers and, and the perplexity because of the roaring in the sea and the waves. People with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. That's the world, but that's not disciples. Disciples don't have to do that. In fact, that is a time where we look and we say even more as we see the day approaching. And, and that's, I think, part of the principle that Jesus was giving us here too. Is He's like, hey, look around. You know, uh, and, and he's going to get into this here in just a second. He's like, look, when you see signs and things happening, that's not your, your, your point in time to, to shrink back and to be afraid. Say, like, lift your head. Your redemption draws near. And don't forsake the gathering of, of yourselves together doing this, what we are as a church. And not just here and now, but, but in our groups as we meet during the week and as families and all these other things that we do. He's like, even more so as you see the day approaching. Why? Because we need to encourage each other. We need to, to help each other be on this mission together and to keep watchful. This is a difficult culture to remain watchful in. There's a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of things that draw us and our families away from, from, from Christ. And we can look at churches and our culture all around us and see there's a lot of people whose allegiance is not to God's mission and God's plan. But we have these things where we ask God to come in and bless them rather than starting from a perspective of asking God, what is my role? What would you like me to do? What would you like my family to do? He goes on to say, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in, in, uh, in cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told the parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things first taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He goes on, here it is, pay attention, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying they may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. When I hear Jesus' words there, those aren't, those aren't words of just uh, you know, casual caution. He's giving us a principle there that as believers, we are to watch, to stay awake. And we do that together. We do that in community. We do that uh, and we encourage one another in that. One of my favorite sections of scripture, and I'm just going to skip down through most of it, but it comes also from Matthew 24, which I, which I quoted from earlier. But he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Jesus is giving us a principle here. He's giving us something to look at. He's saying, I've given you a mission. Keep your eyes on me. Watch. But if that wicked servant says to himself, and I think this is maybe where we need to be careful and check our heart, my master is delayed. Some of you have heard me teach on this before. I call it the doctrine of imminent return. Uh, it's not my coining of the phrase. That's what others call it. But this idea of, um, of our eyes fixed on Jesus and at all times expectant of his return. He's giving us one of the most important principles that we have in our tool belt as believers is that we would watch that we, would be, that we would be waiting, that we would be diligently awaiting his return. But it's the wicked servant, and it's the same servant in this, in this section of scripture, that says to himself, my master is delayed. And what are the effects as soon as he allows that to enter his mind? As soon as he allows this idea that I've got time. The world has time. As soon as we begin to entertain this thought of Jesus isn't coming in my lifetime, maybe in the foreseeable future or whatever else that, that the enemy would come and implant in us, that's the same, that's the same lie that, the, that, is, uh, that this servant entertains. My master is delayed. And the consequence of that is he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want to, want to mention something to you guys. This isn't talking about the world. This isn't talking about a world that's not ready for his return. He's talking about people who he's calling servants. He's calling them servants. He's calling them people who, who have at one point in time identified and called him master. He's talking about a, a church that at some point loses its focus And takes his eyes off of him. And some of the consequences. And I want you to listen carefully. Because I I believe we're seeing this in our culture. At this point in time in history. It says my masters and lay begin to beat the other servants. We live at a time where. Guys wanting to get on the internet. And argue about theology all day long. and, and, And beat the other servants. Rather than being about the master's will. And going out and fulfilling the commission. And we do that because in, in a way I think we think that we're, that we're uh, somehow serving God. 
But in reality, we're serving ourselves. We're, we're pursuing this thing of idea, this culture, and, and it's a self-serving idea. Now, that's not to say that we don't protect truth, because we absolutely protect truth. We stick to truth. We honor truth. We protect truth. But I'm talking about a time where, where truth has gotten so skewed, and now those that would even call themselves Christians will beat other Christians who are, who are faithful to follow Jesus, who are faithful to hold to the word as the authority. And they, will, and they will identify and listen and heap upon the praises of the world. And friend, what does Jesus tell us about when the world tells us and pats us on the back and tells us that we're doing okay? It says that hated me, it's going to hate you. And it's not because of anything that we're doing wrong. It's because throughout all of, all of history and time, there's a war that's happening in higher places. And there's, there's one side that, that is wanting to, uh, you know, to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. And there's another side that wants to do everything it can to prevent that from happening and to bring death and destruction. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he'll do that not only uh, with the world. He's now doing that with those who would even call themselves believers and say, this isn't love. This isn't, you know, and they, and they adopted a version of love that's different than what Jesus says. This is love, that I would lay down my life for you. And not just for you, but for the world. But we must hold to what is true. We do that in community. We do that together. We do that by keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and not taking them off of him and placing them on the world and the things of this world and the opinions of the world and the teaching of the world. You know, in this idea of watching, and, and I'm bringing this to a close here. Understand, we got along and understand that there's a lot here that uh, I'm right at 45 minutes, so, uh, so, so bear with me for just a few more. You know, in Hebrews uh, 9, 24 to 20, I'm going to read that. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is with the Father. He's there on our behalf. It was not to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. Jesus is the final sacrifice. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, and catch this, because this is the mission, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those, and listen to his words, who are eagerly waiting for him. I heard somebody teach on this one time, and he's a man I greatly respect, a man who God has used mightily in, uh, in freeing a lot of people from addiction all around the United States, and uh, and was kind of a prophetic voice of, uh, of, of just uh, what we call a watchman, somebody who, who saw culture and saw things in culture, and, uh, and much like um, much like we're doing today, just pointing out these things. But he asked the question, I, you know, I wonder when I read that if Jesus is coming back for those who aren't waiting for him. I think he's setting up a principle there, and it, it says he's not coming to deal with sin; he's already done that. He already came, and this is where that principle of we can't leave what's been done in the past. It can't stop at the cross. It doesn't stop at the cross. It does for us, for salvation, right? It stops and ends there. We, don't, we, don't, we no longer have to earn anything. It's free. It's a gift. But just as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he also tells us 
that he's here to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And I think the principle in this is that when we come to truly understand our identity, when we come to truly understand what Jesus has done, this isn't something that, that we have to go in every day and we strive for and we're, we're sitting back and we're, we're you know, am I, am I eager enough? Am I, no, it's not that at all. I think when we catch a vision of who Jesus is, he begins to transform us. And I think most of you know what I'm talking about. He begins to, to take and change us from the inside out. And in the same way, that as he begins to you know, show us these things, it, it's another principle he gives us. To whom much is given, much is required. But the more he gives us, it's not so much that it's a requirement. It's a, we realize, wow, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, I can, I can very clearly remember reading, as, as, and you know, this was right before, so I mentioned before, six years uh, being a pastor and an elder here, and it was right before the, that, uh, that, that time. I can very clearly remember, I was sitting in my family room, and we lived over on Carson Street up in the Ochoco Point area. Uh, it was the third house that we lived in when we moved here, uh, although we had only uh, um, lived there a short time because we'd already moved twice because the houses that uh, we were in had been foreclosed on. Their owners, uh, uh, you know, during the recession just couldn't keep them, and we were renting, and then we had to change and rent over here, and we had to change and rent over here. I just remember in that season of time, uh, God began to do a work in us, and as a church, we were doing a lot of prayer and fasting, and here's part of that, his story, Right? His story and his history, it's not just about Genesis to Revelation, but it, it includes the right here and the now. We're all part of it. Every one of us that's here, every, every person that's in this room, you're part of that story. We're in this together. And part of that story was I remember sitting on my, on my couch and I was reading the scripture and it was at a time when God had just really began to move in me. Uh, and for the first time in my life, I just wanted to do nothing but read the Bible. And I would read it for, for hours. It would consume chapters and chapters at a time. I probably read the Gospels. I'm just going to guess here. Maybe, you know, maybe 15 times over in the span of three months. I just, I just couldn't get enough. And during that time, though, I was still, in my heart, I was feeling like, I know that I'm, like this idea of being called, we're sent people. Like if what I'm reading here is true, and this is when God began to speak to me and plant in me the seeds that have led to where we are right now. And so often he does that, and it starts here, but it started with the Spirit just simply speaking to me. Um, if this is true, if the message of the gospel is true, if everything that Jesus says is true, if these words are life, then this is the most important message that the world needs to hear. Period. The most important thing that I could do with my life is to tell as many people as possible the truth of the gospel. And at that time, that hadn't gotten into here yet, but it started here. And the more that I began to read and the more that God began to do in my life, the more that that began to confirm. And here's the interesting thing. Whether I'm right or not about the times that we're living in, that doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we do what Jesus asked us to do, which is to watch, to be ready. So even if I'm wrong and we have another 500 years left to still do this thing, I don't believe that's true. I believe that we are rapidly coming to a point and a conclusion in history. But even if we had 500 more years at this, the principle of, the, of this would not change. We are called to live as sent people. We are called to live as people who watch and are expectant. And we go out with that sense of urgency that we don't know how much time we have. We don't know the day that the Savior is going to return. But today, I'm going to enter and I'm going to go out uh, in with, this, uh, with this idea day after day after day that, that today I am sent. When I go into my employer today, I am sent. When God gives me a vision and, and that begins to think about, oh, maybe I should, maybe we're called to go over here and we begin to pursue that. We're sent people. As we begin to meet with elders and talk about what does this look like to go out and reach our community. I, oh man, 
Shoot, we're at 53 minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. But, but here's the thing. I want you guys to understand. This church is growing quickly. And that's going to require some strategic sacrifice if we're going to reach a community of 25,000 people, let alone those of us who God's going to call to go in other places and to be in other places. But, but we, we not only have, have, have moved into a, a building, we're already full. You know, we, we uh, uh, have had an average of 170 people coming every Sunday. We have 160 chairs on the front floor here, and we have a few upstairs. And thank goodness we have classrooms for kids that God has so graciously blessed us with. But, but uh, Johnny kind of teed this up for me a few weeks ago when he said this. He said, I, don't, I hope that we never necessarily just become a big church. What's the next thing? Do we go out and we just, we, we, you know, we buy a bigger building and we try to accommodate more people? I don't know that that's the answer. But I do know this. If we are going to grow here, it's going to require strategic sacrifices to be made. And I know that this body will rise to that occasion. Whether that's multiple services, whether that's God calling and, you know, us to go out in, in ways that we haven't even thought of yet and figure out how to reach a community of 25,000 people. I don't know how many people live out Juniper Canyon, but we have 25,000 people in our community and, and 10,000 of them live in town. I'd say a good number of them live out in that canyon. My family moved there. I don't know if you guys know this, but we lived just a few houses down uh, up until just recently. We lived a few houses down from where this new church is. I find it really interesting that in the time when God led us to sell, he already knew that we were going to be purchasing this building right here. And if it was his desire and his design that my family would stay here forever, that seems like a perfectly logical thing that we would be just right down from the church. But that's not what he did. He planted us up in Juniper Canyon. I don't know for how long. I don't know what that purpose is. But I know that there's at least 5,000 people up there that are unreached. I know that there's one small church that's up there carrying that load alone. I know that there's a lot of people who will never come from up there down to here. Yet I also know there's a lot of people that do come down here into various churches around this community. And yet we have a whole group of people up there that needs to also know about Jesus. I know that there's other churches that see that vision and understand it too. I talked to the pastor just this week about it. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that, that, uh, that we're there. And I know that as a family, we sense that God is calling us to go and to, and to plant churches. We know that to be true. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know the timing on that. But I'm here to announce you after six years of, of being here and being one of your pastors and your elders, we know that God is calling us to go. We don't know where or how. We don't know if it will still be as a part of, uh, you know, this body in ministry here and going overseas, whether that will be planting uh, a church, uh, you know, in, in our home and, and meeting here. We, we don't know. But, but, what I, but what I'm encouraged with is that God has given us a calling, and it sits above right over there, and it says we are... Uh, we are called to make disciples of our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And I think as leaders, it's, it's really important for us to say, you know, if we're going to call you guys to that, then we also need to embody that. That's who we are. If we're going to raise us up and call, and, and we're going to raise people up and call them to go out, then it's important that we demonstrate that with our own lives. And it's important that as God moves us in that area, that we have an opportunity to stand here before you and say, we don't know what it looks like, but we want to be obedient. And we want to go and have you guys be around us and be supporting us and, uh, when that time comes. And be supporting us in, in whatever that looks like. And who knows, maybe some of you will be coming with us. We don't know what that looks like. 
But I think it's really important that, that we uh, all look at, our, uh, at, at us as, as called and sent people because we have a community that needs it. We have a world that needs it. With that, I'm going to call the worship team up. We have a, uh, a Mother's Day thing too. And while they're playing the last song, I'd like all the kids to come up. And, and while they're doing that, I just want to, um, I want to give us a, a quick little exhortation to the moms. You know, one of the things, the most important things that you can do at this point uh, in, in life is to point and to help your kids discover their God-given identity in Christ. Kids, go ahead and come up. You're going to get flowers. And I want moms, as the kids are coming up, if you're a mom who's here today, I want you to raise your hand and just keep it in the air. Uh, and these kids are going to come up. And actually, Julia and Janae, why don't you guys come too? Donnie, Soren, uh, Willem, Cora, all you guys. And not only are you going to get a flower for your own moms, but you're going to make sure that every mom that has her hand up here gets a flower. If you're a mom today, I just want you to put your hand in the air and leave it up. And these kids are going to bring you flowers. So kids, go ahead and grab those. And you can start taking them to the moms. And while you're doing that, I, I want to encourage you moms. That as I was coming uh, you know, before the Lord and asking him for the, for the sermon today, <clears throat> it's, it's in our nature, I think, to protect our kids. It's in our nature to, as moms, uh, uh, to, and, and I want you to understand, I identify with you. I can't tell you how many times in these last few years I've looked at what's going on in our culture, and I've wanted to withdraw. And I've wanted to say, man, I want to take my kids, and I want to run with my wife and my kids and my family as far away from the evil that's in this place and in this culture that's, that's crouching at the door waiting to, to consume them. But as sent people and as sent families, that's not our calling. Our calling isn't to, to run away. Our, our calling is to penetrate this culture. And so moms, as you today are here with us in worship, I think one of the most important things you can do in this life is to point to and help your kids discover their God-given identity in Christ. You know, there's some incredible benefits to that. As the, I, Just thinking about having a daughter, Janae, who's 17. She's getting close to leaving home and going to college. And I've been able to have some incredible conversations with her. But one of the most important that, that nobody ever really had with me, and that's not to, that's not to fault uh, uh, anybody. I grew up in an incredible family, incredible church. But I didn't have the same picture of God's plan, an unfolding plan from Genesis to Revelation. I didn't have this picture that was called, and I fretted. Where am I supposed to go to school? What am I supposed to do with my life? And one of the most incredible things I've been able to share with Janae is that here's the deal. If you keep your eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus and you understand your identity, you don't have to, just like the world that's foreboding about the things that are coming on, like the world is, is always concerned about these things. Which college am I supposed to go to? What am I supposed to do with my life? Jesus says, you keep your eyes fixed on me, and I told this to, to, to my own daughters. If you're doing that, then there's nothing in this world. It's not, no, no person, no finances will keep you from being exactly where God wants you to be. You do not have to worry about the same things that this world worries about. So moms, you have an incredibly important responsibility. Dads, you have an incredibly important responsibilities. One of the most difficult things for us to overcome is something hardwired in our DNA to protect our kids, and that's not wrong. But maybe we also, instead of just protecting them, give them a picture of their God-given identity in Christ. So moms, as this week, as you have these flowers and vases... Uh, and you think about that, I want you to be thinking about giving your kids that identity. And I want you to think about that identity for yourself as well and as your families. Set up stones of remembrance and allow your heart to be challenged and reminded with this idea of, of God's call on our life. And with that, go ahead. Let's close it up in song, Adam. Thank you.